0: look to you and uh, as we have had these words sung over us, we're reminded of the ways that you have delivered us. And Father, I I, um, lift up and we lift up together our prayers of we need your deliverance. Deliver us from our selfishness. Deliver us from our pride. Deliver us from our impatience. Deliver us from our um, laziness. Father, there are so many things from which we need delivered. Ways that we have stumbled and failed. I pray that as we look to you, that we would taste your goodness. And Father, in these coming moments, that we would taste your goodness through the gift of your living word. Thank you for this gift. Spirit, speak to us through your words this morning. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, you know, as you have been joining us uh, the last several weeks, we're going through James. And we remind ourselves of this important truth that lays at the foundation of the letter of James. And we remind ourselves each week of this, that we are the beloved of the Lord. In love, he created us. In love, he came to us. In love, he died for us. And in love, he makes us his own. Folding us into his love. Transforming us by his love. And sending us out in his love. By our love, this world will know that we are his. By our love, this world will see him in us as he lives a life of love in us and through us to the glory of God. So we know that the book of James is helping unpack for us what it looks like to live a life of love. And in the past few weeks, we've been sitting under this challenge that part of living a life of love is submitting to God. So submitting to God in the midst of quarrels, when I, when I want to fight to get my way, I'm invited to submit to God's way, to submit to God in the midst of judgments. When I want to judge others, I'm invited to submit, to submit to God, understanding him as the ultimate judge. And this morning, we'll look at plans What does it mean to submit to God in the midst of our plans? To submit our plans to God? We're going to look at James 4, verses 13 through 16. And I invite you to listen what James writes to us in this. He says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. So sometimes you read something in scripture and because at face value, uh, it, it, it pokes at you a little bit and, and um, calls you, it, it convicts you a little bit. You may quickly say, you know what, There's, it doesn't really mean that I'm not really all that prideful and arrogant. So this, you know, planning is good and you kind of skip on by it and don't spend much time with it. But I want to invite you to pause on this, to put down some of your defensiveness and pause and consider what this is saying. So when, um, you know, you might ask James, okay, well, James, what's wrong with making plans and making money? What if I were to say that I plan to go to college so that I can get a good degree and secure a high-paying job so I can buy a big house and have a nice car and have a comfortable life? Is there anything wrong with going to college to get a good degree? Is there anything wrong with having a high-paying job, a big house, or a nice car? What if I were to say... I'm going to plan a vacation this summer so that I can get the rest I deserve with the money that I've accumulated. So, is there anything wrong with planning a great vacation? James says these uncomfortable things in verse 14. He says, why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So we think that's perhaps a little harsh. I'm just doing some planning. I'm being a responsible adult. What's wrong with that? I imagine In this room, that many in this room have a vacation planned this summer. I imagine that many in this room plan to make money this year. So, I want us to to put down our defenses for a moment and listen. What is James telling us? I can see that that he's saying two things about the reader. Two things that is true of the listener And first of all, it's this. You are small. I am small. You are not in control, and I am not in control. So this idea that you are small, this is consistent in Scripture. This isn't the first time that we see a writer in Scripture allude to this. Isaiah 40, verse 22, Isaiah talks about how God sits enthroned above the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. We're small. In Psalm 39, 5, it mentions how life is but a breath. In Job 7, 7, Job declares that very thing. My life is but a breath. You and I are small. So I've used this illustration before, and I want to use it again because um, it's helpful to me if, if for, for that reason alone. Um, so this rope represents eternity, and we're going to stretch it all the way across here, and that'd be embarrassing if we got in a knot. Of course, our lives are kind of in a knot, so I don't know. Um, all right, so this rope represents eternity, and we're going to tie it on here. I'm probably going to trip over that. We'll, We'll try it this way. So, okay. And I imagine something you've recognized in this rope is surely you've noticed this piece of blue tape. So this piece of blue tape, this is our life. On everybody living on earth right now, this represents our life. Okay, the rope, it's eternity, you know, past, eternity in the future. But this piece of blue tape, this is my life. And certainly, or this is our life on earth, everybody living right now, certainly you've noticed on this blue tape, this black dot that I've put there. That, that's me. All right. So all this to say, we are small. Now, I'm not saying we are insignificant. That's an entirely different sermon. This dot, incredibly significant. But for the purpose of this sermon, for the purpose of explaining this passage, this dot, you and I, we are very small. So you are small. Nobody take bets on whether or not I'm going to trip on this. And don't worry, it's not going to happen. Um, so you are small. You know, this is um, beyond a rope illustration. We can go outside and we recognize this anytime we just look up into the sky and we look at the clouds that we see and, and we consider our size compared to everything we can see. And not to mention, we can't see the whole state, the whole country, the whole world, the whole universe. Um, we are are small. We know that when we look at reality around us. The second thing James is pointing out here is that you are not in control. So there's this great passage uh, in Job where you know the story of Job, these horrible things happen to Job. Um, His his loved ones die. um, His servants die. He loses riches. Um, Things are going horribly for Job. And he brings his concerns, his frustrations to the Lord, which is exactly what he should do. So he brings all these things to the Lord. He's talking to the Lord. And the Lord finally responds to him. And when the Lord responds to him, Job learns a few things. The Lord responds to him with some questions. Questions like these. He says, where were you, Job, when I laid the earth's foundation? He says, have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Have you ever journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have you ever comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Can you bring forth the constellations? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over earth? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom? Does the eagle soar at your command? You get the idea. God is reminding Job, Job, you are not in control. Scripture goes on in in many other ways to show us that we are not in control. Life goes on in many ways to show us that we are not in control. Every time you get into your car and drive out around the community or um, or on the highway, you we realize we are not in control. Yes, maybe kind of of our car, but what about all the other people on the road that we don't know and they're driving around these 2,000 pounds of steel at 60 miles an hour coming within a few feet of us? We are not in control. Think about illness. We're painfully reminded. Whether it's cancer or Parkinson's or or whatever it might be, we are reminded that we are not in control. Natural disasters remind us that we are not in control. The less than ideal choices of our loved ones remind us that we are not in control. When we look at life, when we look at scripture, We realize that I am small. I am not in control. And what I see, though, is that there is a God who is huge, a huge God who is in control. Isaiah tells us that that God measures the oceans in the hollow of his hand. We think about how God is in control. You think about the questions that Job was um, asked by God. and God said things like this. Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over earth? And the answer is no, Job can't. But yes, God does. Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? No, Job doesn't. God does. Over and over again. Do you know the um, when the mountain bo- goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? No, Job doesn't. God does. Time and time again, we see in Scripture God's control in the midst of us not having control. We look at the the story in Exodus, this fascinating story about the Israelites enslaved in Egypt, and God comes in. and How does He reco- how does He um, rescue them but he shows the Egyptians this incredible control that he has over nature where he turns water into blood he sends frogs and gnats and and then there's a time when he turns everything dark but but it's dark for the Egyptians and it's light for the Israelites I don't know how that happens but but God is in control he shows that in these in miraculous ways. He leads them out of Egypt and he splits the sea so that they can walk through it. And as soon as they're done, down comes the crashing waves and destroys the Egyptians. Time and time again, we see evidence, we read about the truth that God is in control. You and I are small and God is huge. You and I are not in control and God is is in control. So when James points out the the extent of our smallness, we are like a mist. What is your life? You're here today and gone tomorrow. When he points out that we are small, that we are not in control, this isn't harsh criticism. This is an invitation to put confidence in the one who is huge, the one who has all power, Yet, as James points out in verse 16, so we are small, we are not in control. Yet, as it is, James says, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. So to boast, in its original meaning, to boast is to put confidence in or to rejoice in. So James observes people putting confidence in, they are rejoicing in their arrogant schemes. They're putting confidence in or they're rejoicing in their ability to make plans and to make money. They're putting confidence in and rejoicing in the fact that they, picture with me, they, this little dot, if they exert just the right pressure and strain in just the right way, they can impact, as long as the other uncontrollable things don't don't mess it up, they can impact a few specific things. So they're putting all their, their confidence and their joy in that. For these little dots that we pointed out, for them to run around putting confidence in their plans rather than in the plans of a loving maker who sees everything. It's either foolishness or idolatry or both. James isn't saying that planning is bad. He's not saying that making money is bad. But he's saying that placing your confidence and your joy in your ability to make plans and make money, that's what's wrong. Proverbs 19.21 says this, Many are the plans of a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Where in your life are you spinning your wheels trying to make your things happen instead of asking the Lord what his plan or purpose is. I want you to pause and process that because I know there are places that the Lord points to this being the case in my life. And I'm sure that he has that for many of us. Where are the places in your life where you are spinning your wheels to make your thing happen instead of asking the Lord what his plan or his purpose is? You know, I know there, there are times in the Lord's graciousness where the thing that I'm spinning my wheels for, um, in his graciousness, he doesn't let that thing happen. And I know that there are other times in his loving discipline that the thing that I'm spinning my wheels for, he allows that very thing to happen. Here's James' corrective advice for us in verse 15. He says, Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that or the other thing. So James says we should be holding on to, putting confidence in, setting our course according to the Lord's will. So that begs the question, what is the Lord's will? His want, his wish, his desire, his choice. What is the Lord's will for me? You're thinking, holy mackerel, we have a few minutes left in this worship service and you're just getting to the question, what is the Lord's will for us? So I want you know, a lot of times we want to jump to like step 10 on what the Lord's will is rather than, when, than sticking with just some of the introductory things we need to consider when thinking about the Lord's will. We want to jump to step 10 and think, all right, Lord, um, what is your will for what college I'm going to go to, for who I'm going to marry, and for what job I'm going to get? Tell me, what is your, Lord's, what is your will for those specific things? The truth is, It may be the Lord's will for you to go to Purdue University or it may be the Lord's will for you to go to take a year off or to go to Ivy Tech or IU or Ball State or a private school. I'm not sure. It may be the Lord's will for you to marry the person that you have in view, that you're asking that he would have you marry that person. It may be that the Lord's will is for you to move to this or that place for the job that you're considering. But what I know, what we can know with crystal clarity from Scripture is is this first step about what the Lord's will is. It's found in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39, where Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus tells his disciples to take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Isaiah tells us that what the Lord desires is a humble and a contrite, (coughs) excuse me, a humble and a contrite heart and someone who trembles at his word. Scripture is very clear about what the Lord's will for us is. That's the Lord's will. (coughs) Excuse me. That's the Lord's will for each of us. You know, it's kind of like, Not doing this first step, not spending some time considering who the Lord is in Scripture, not spending some time leaning into loving him and loving others, to follow after him, to have a humble and contrite heart, to tremble at his word. If I try to jump over those things and get right to this, um, well, God, who, who do you want me to marry? What job do you want me to have? It's kind of like a two-year-old asking a rocket scientist, how do you make those rockets fly? And you know, that's an interesting question, but but the two-year-old is not going to comprehend the answer. He's not ready for the answer. There's some building blocks that need to come in its place. And that's how it is when, if I think I'm going to skip over these first steps of following God's will... And, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm not going to spend time with the Lord. I'm not going to know his voice. I'm not going to know his heart. But I want to just jump to this over here and say, well, God, I want to know what you think in this very specific instance of, do you want me to take this job or not? I firmly believe that when we lean deep into this step, when we read God's word, when we listen to God's spirit, when we experience God's people, When we lean into the things that we know are part of God's will, we will get swept into this movement, this current of following God's will. I highly recommend this uh, booklet, this uh, Bible study called Experiencing God written years ago by Henry Blackaby. It's it's a fantastic way to, to walk you through some of these very important introductory steps on how to know and experience the will of God. If I'm leaning into the parts of God's will that I know because scripture is clear about it, then I'll find myself swept up into this stream that places very small me into something so large. While I'm quick to recognize that I am not in control, I will say with confidence, I will know with confidence that things are under control. My loving and powerful God is under control. That's when I know that I've submitted to God. That I've submitted to his plans and let go of my plans. I want to spend just a minute or two talking to the Lord and inviting you to process some of this with the Lord as you submit to your, to submit your, pl- sorry, submit to the Lord's plans and begin to let go of some of yours. Father, I thank you for these challenging words from the book of James. I thank you for the painful reminder that we are small and not in control and we praise you, Lord, in the midst of that, that you are a loving and merciful God who is huge and in complete control. Father, there are things for each of us. There are plans and pursuits that we have that we are holding on to tightly and we are failing to ask the question, Lord, What is your plan or purpose? Father, I pray that you would identify those things in each of our lives where we are spinning our wheels, running after our thing, and we are failing to ask you what you want us to do in the midst of that. Give us confidence. Give us strength this week to put our confidence and our joy in your plans and not ours. In your name, Jesus, I pray.